And welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm Mark. And in our latest episode, we go so deep into the nostalgia, we're positively Jurassic, as Mark and I celebrate the 40th anniversary of the very first Doctor Who story released on commercial video and the range itself. Millennials will marvel at the old school tech as we unspool our thoughts in a decades-long journey through our memories and yours. Say hello to Colin Howard. High five Andrew Skilleter and ponder the wisdom of the composite photo cover, all the while boogieing to the sound of the VHS player rewinding. All this, and I put on my big boy pants and dare ask Mark for his thoughts on the return to the show of our very own Murray, Mantovani Gold. Let the Castrati sing. <laughs> Welcome back to 42 to Doomsday. Rob, just like Tiffany said, I think we're alone now. Just the two of us tonight. How are you, sir? Yes, Mark. After several triumphant episodes uh, interviewing the great and good of uh, Doctor Who fandom, we're alone. I'm very alone in this garage. Is it the same garage that uh, you broadcast that uh, Pirate Max headroom clip in 1987 to... uh, there's unsuspecting Americans. Yes, because if anyone's actually seen me, I look very much like Max Headroom. <laughs> no, I don't. But anyway, that's fine. That's fine. No, yes, it's just us, us two tonight, Mark, or today, or whenever you're listening to this. It's actually the evening here in Melbourne town. And how it have is. you been, Mark? Yeah, I've been good, buddy. How about yourself? Well, I have a pineapple-flavoured vodka cruiser. Please Ooh. Google it, uh, people outside Ooh, Australia. This is a refugee, uh, what's left over after my daughter's 18th birthday party. You may hear the gentle hum of the fridge in the background. There's about another <laughs> nine of these sitting in there. So we'll see That'll how I go. be a long night. Or <laughs> <laughs> short, it just depends. If you hear me snoring, it's been a short night, so we'll see. <laughs> or I'm still talking, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> The party went well, did it? Uh, yes. Uh, wrangling 20, 16, 17 and fellow 18-year-olds, it turns out to be not as horrifying a prospect uh, as I first feared. We catered and uh, there were some drinks. And it turns out that um, in this great state of ours, uh, as long as the kids' parents give permission, um, you can you know, liquor them up as much as they want. Um <laughs> Even if they're underage. Now, having said oh. that, having said that, my wife and I were very strict to ensure that only the 18-year-olds had access to the alcohol. So so that was good. But, yeah, no, it was a good night. My daughter was very happy with how it went. And uh, it turns out that the kids can entertain themselves. My wife and I were watching telly in the living room and, and my daughter and her friends were singing away to Spotify. So, yeah, it's quite good. You didn't bust out the moves to uh, Doctor in Distress or uh, Doctor in a TARDIS or the musical suite from Arkham Infinity, did you? I should have lined that up, mate. That would have been good. Just <laughs> the in- Sea Devils. <laughs> just inserted it into my daughter's uh, birthday Spotify uh, playlist. <laughs> what the hell is this? What is this farting noise? What's going on? So, yeah, that, that's uh, that's one daughter's 18th out of the way. In a few years' time, there'll be the second, and that'll be it. And my wife and I can then retire gracefully to, um, I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> it never ends, mate. It never ends. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, yourself, Mark, how have you been? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, you know, living the dream, you know, working busy and, you know. Yeah, well, stuff. I'm trying to put a positive spin. A bit like Mantovani Gold Return. Well, uh, Mark, dare I ask. Now, uh, we've had a drip feed of uh, stuff relating to the new series, Shooty Gatwa, in uh, some 60s clobber, along with um, uh, Millie, whatever her name is. Uh, Millie. Gibson. That's right. Gibson. Yeah, not Vinnelly. Yeah. That's looked quite uh, nice. Um, but uh, the the news, the news that fan favourite uh, Murray Gold is, you know, this turns out to be the biggest non-surprise in, in Doctor Who's history, has returned. Mark, I I leave the field for you. Please tell us your thoughts. Well, when it was announced, Rob, I don't know whether you noticed this because I'm a bit of a you know keen uh, onlooker of the share market, but uh, <laughs> stocks in sugar cane and saccharin products went up 138 percent because uh, on on the return of Mantovani Gold, as you said, it wasn't a surprise. But I thought, uh... <laughs> what, what is just what, make this even handed? What is yeah. a positive about Murray Gold coming back, and what is a negative about Murray Gold coming back, if you can? A positive. Mm. Well, maybe it's a return to work that he hasn't had the last couple of years since Ooh, Chibnall took over. Harsh. A negative? Oh, look, there's plenty. You know, I, I, look, I'm not a big fan of his uh, work. You know, the, the, the theme for the Castrati obviously is uh, one of the uh, non-highlights. I don't know. It's just like Dudley Simpson. His music was just the same towards the end. And look, mm. admittedly, he did do some nice themes for, you know, particular bits and pieces. Yes. But... On an overall, I suppose, musical score uh, spectrum, just forgettable. He ain't no Peter Howell, let's put it that way. There's no wow. uh, Leisure Hive suite is there going on or the Five Doctors suite. Let's put it that way. I suppose your creative types, uh, when they've reached a certain level like RTD has, they like to work with the people that they feel most comfortable with or have been most associated with their successes. I was just reading today that I think it's Martin Scorsese uh, is uh, reuniting with... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, and uh, Robert De Niro for a new movie that's coming out. So and they've okay. worked together, you know. Well, De Niro and Scorsese is obviously legendary, mm. uh, and DiCaprio and, and Scorsese they can't avoid each other. I mean, they're, they're constantly on the same film set. So yeah, there there is that habit where you 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 work with people you trust and know uh, and appreciate, obviously. And do you think we'll get more of the same from Mr. Gold, or do you think he might oh. stretch himself, or what will it be? Because I'm beginning to have some doubts about the uh, reheated new era that we're about to get. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just a, I have a, a feeling in my bones that we're going to get even More though – the same? Oh, look, I mean, having a new, young, hip black actor will be definitely a, a difference, obviously. Mm. And mm. obviously, D sees something in him that was, you know, enough to, to cast him. I mean, in sex education, he's – Gatwa is is really just lights up the screen. So I'm not entirely sure whether we'll get that all the way through, but maybe we'll get some of it and, and, and something else that the, the, the production team can bring out of him, the, the writing and the directing. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I Time will tell. We'll just see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I, yeah. it, look, it can't be any, in terms of uh, attention from the public and I think initially at least the viewership, I think it will be a step up from where we were in the last five or six years. Yeah, we can look forward to that. Uh, you know, the show, you know, reconnecting with the audience. But in terms of story, look, I don't know. We'll just see. I just, I just have a feeling. That's all I can say. Yeah, you can't rehead a seafloor, mate. Basically, the, the successes they had as part of seasons two, three, and, and four 
are going to be very hard to replicate uh, in this day and age. And I think, you know, just by bringing back the the band, as it were, to try and, uh, you know, recreate that uh, that era or that success is going to be a lot harder this this time around. So, but look, would, but, as, but you know, but it would be a mistake. You would agree, I, I think, that to try and recreate that that era. I mean, I, I haven't really, well, I haven't watched anything that RTD's done uh, in the last three or four years. You know, like it's. Oh, a he's done or, some. He's done some great stuff. I'll be so, honest with you. But, well, then you I'll know. ask you then, Mark. I mean, mm. in terms of that sort of writing, is it is it is it different, matured? I don't know. How oh, would you describe, you know, what you've been seeing in the last, you know, couple of series that you've watched from RTD? The range of topics he's covered, you know, in terms of the um, yeah, the Jeremy Thorpe, you know, docudrama was excellent. Oh, that's true. Um, I did watch that. That was you know, I love that. That was, that was really fantastic. good. It was fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's a sin was really well done. And you also did that um, one about what was it called? The one um, was it the one set just into the future? Yeah, that one as well. Uh, God, we, we, you can tell we're getting we actually past fifty now. We're forgetting everybody's names, aren't we, Barry? That one it was that was very good too. With uh, Emma Thompson as um, a sort um, of uh, Liz Truss. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> yes, let's not get yeah. into British politics. But trepidation about Murray Gold uh, returning. Well, fair enough. Well, I just look, some things, you know, bring back, obviously, you know, Collinson and, and Gardner and those guys, it's fine. Yeah. But I was just hoping in some things they just go for a different approach, and um, don't have to have one person doing the soundtracks, doing the music like they did in the in you know in the eighties. You know, different combination of people make it interesting. You know, like one minute you're switching from Dominic Glenn to one minute you're switching to God help us, Kef McCulloch or Mark Marquez is pretty good. You know what I mean? Just make it a bit more different. You know, yeah. Um, not having that same sort of and I say house style like we had with the seventies with we you know with Deadly Dudley Simpson. But would you say though, Mark, that given the scope of the new series the fact that the budgets are even higher than they've well higher than they're going to be higher than they've ever been that you want to make sure that from rtd side and uh, the production team side that everyone is everyone that you've employed is effectively a safe pair of hands because what you're attempting to do relaunch the series through you know one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world one of the biggest production houses in the world disney um, you want to make sure you, you, you almost can't take a chance. I mean, you can take a chance on the casting of the lead, I suppose, mm. um, but everything else, the writing or writers, I mean, RTD will be all over the writing, no doubt. I mean, the directors uh, are proven. Uh, Rachel Talale, 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 um, clearly has form. Yeah. Um, no, she's very good. Having to wrangle different composers for different stories if you're going for one look, one feel, then hiring the one person makes sense. But I, I, I absolutely acknowledge where you're coming from. The variety uh, is the spice of life. I think safe is boring in, in some things. They can mix it up a bit. And uh, We look forward to you crying uh, outside you know, your home. Uh, bring back the hammer, McCulloch. <laughs> Kev McCulloch. Hammer to fall. Did, did you say that McCulloch is relocated to North uh, Queensland? Yes, he has, yes. Yeah, he uh, apparently does some sort of gigging up there and, uh, yeah. Into the music scene? Oh, that's nice. That's very good. <laughs> Wasn't much in the music scene to begin with. No. Wow. No, come on. His remembrance score was actually really, really good. Memorable. But uh, the rest is, uh, yeah, the hammer. Yeah. The hammer. All right. <laughs> hammer. Okay then, Mark. Well, uh, on that, you know, blinding insights. <laughs> that, uh... that we're loved and famous for, you know. <laughs> Let's move on to our actual topic.
Now, Rob, apart from being the 40th anniversary of the uh, greatest Doctor Who story ever made, The Five Doctors, it's yeah. also the 40th anniversary of the first Doctor Who VHS that was released uh, way back in 1983. So a bit of a preamble first. So cast your mind back to 1983, not that yeah. long ago. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot of fans were at the Long Lake Doctor Who uh, celebration yeah. uh, that was completely... Uh, Rammed unorganised, chaos ensued. But what they did manage to do there, apart from piss a whole lot of people off and spending 15 hours in the car park, give uh, people a piece of paper saying, what story would you like to have on uh, cassette? The attendees voted for Tomb of the Cybermen. Now, in 1983, there's a bit of a lag because it was sitting in a shelf in Hong Kong uh, yes. and nobody could be asked going over there and checking it out. They, they knew. knew. Exactly. So it didn't, didn't get recovered in time. However, so... Basically, good old BBC Enterprises said, well, look, what have we got in terms of Cybermen? It's complete and potentially in colour. Well, Earthshock was too recent because people would have been taping it illegally off the TV by then. They went for Revenge of the Cybermen because as it was the earliest complete story in the archives, but also featured the most uh, popular Doctor. Yes. That is Uncle Tom. Uh, so 3rd of uh, October 1983, Revenge of the Cybermen was released in the UK, complete with a uh, incorrect uh, cover, which we'll talk about later. But it was also released in Australia a couple of months later. So actually fairly close in terms of those release dates. And on the 14th of May, 1984, when Duran Duran was writing high in the charts, it uh, got a further re-release with a correct cover. And then again in 86, sell-through um, price of 9.99. And then it got re-released again in its original uh, episodic form in 1999 because the other versions uh, before that were omnibus, i.e. edited together. So basically... Even before the, the story came out on DVD, it was released four times on VHS and other formats, which we'll get to later on. So they went as late as 1999 uh, with, a, with an episodic release. That's, uh, yeah. that's yeah. for the completists, no doubt. Yeah, which I, I did buy again and again. Now, it's got a wall of Revenge of the Cybermen <laughs> VHSs. Uh, Mark, just for our younger listeners, would you care to describe what a VHS tape actually is? <laughs> Oh, my God, I forgot about that, yes. So in the olden days, <laughs> so there was vinyl, and the only way we could watch um, movies or TV shows, well, basically they had U-matic machines well before 1977, but in 76, mm. 77, the, the domestic, what was it called, VHS, video home system yeah. was released, uh, but also beta, which was the Sony uh, video format um, at the same time. Like and a cassette tape. But like a cassette tape. what a cassette tape, tape was. Exactly. For God's oh, sake. I can't. I would be here all night. But essentially, put it into a machine, you press play, it was on um, magnetic tape, so the quality yes. wasn't great. So you had like 240 lines for VHS. The quality was appalling. But that was the best we had. I mean, my earliest memory of VHS was a friend of mine, um, his, his parents had bought a VH, VHS player. And the very first thing I recall seeing on it was, I believe, Mr. Mom, starring a very own mm. uh, Mr. Keaton. Mm. His first name has escaped me because I'm old now. Michael. Uh, so Michael Keaton, you know, mm. before he before he uh, gimped up as Batman uh, later in the decade. Have you seen the latest Flash trailer? He looks great again as <laughs> Batman. Honestly, these Hollywood types, they spend, in between movies, they're in cryogenic suspension, surely. Mm. My parents bought their first VHS machine in uh, 1985, and I think it was a second-hand one, actually, because uh, it's quite big and clunky. That was all we had and, um, you know, kept us amused. And the friends of ours obviously then got, you know, machines as well. You've also got the people who bought the beta machines, which beta was the actual better format. 
flat. But unfortunately, VHS somehow won the day. And um, yeah, VHS sort of basically became the default um, videotape format for the, the duration of its uh, life, the early 2000s, when uh, DVD slowly it took over. But basically, VHS and, and videotape was the way we used to be able to uh, watch our favourite programs and collect our favourite programs, namely Doctor Who, official and <coughs> unofficial avenues. Now, what was your uh, first experience with, um, say, the Doctor Who range or VHS itself? My very first ex- sort of experience was um, going to uh, sort of my mum and dad's friend's house. They had borrowed their um, friend's VHS recorder in 82, I think it was, and they had illegal copies of uh, Mad Max. And the next time I uh, sort of my... Uh, my uh, interactions with the uh, VHS was in 83, actually. Uh, Return of the Jedi, they were showing that at my local scout troop. They said the whole troop, he'd seen Return of the Jedi, and my mum had luckily taken me out of school uh, and my brother out of school to take to go and see it. So I put my hand up and said, me? And they said, well, you're serving the uh, the food tonight while everybody else sat there and watched it on illegal VHS. So, uh, yes, but we didn't get our machine till 85. And then um, I remember going to the video store and borrowing uh revenge of the sidemen on uh, on vhs a few times but then obviously the abc was starting to show the new colin baker season at the time started taping those but also a, a guy at school he was a big doctor who fan and uh i used to borrow some of his uh, season 21 stories as well so but by 85 onwards I started to, you know, have pen friends and that sort of stuff and, and trading tapes. So I started to build a bit of a collection. But uh, Revenge of the Cybermen was definitely a, a VHS that I remember going and borrowing a few times and uh, thoroughly enjoying, even though it had been probably shown on the ABC 180 times before that. So how about yourself? Apart from, I know you had the the, uh, the video suite at the, at the parents' hotel there putting on uh, some uh, applicable horror movies. Well, that's right. I mean, as I've said before, we had a motel in uh, early in the early 80s, and uh, yes, the, 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 there was a video uh, system set up in you know from the office to all the rooms, so you couldn't. Mm. There was no no choice. It's whatever basically I chose from the video store up the road. Uh, and if that was the Martian Chronicles, well, bad luck for you. Um, <laughs> 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 and yes, it was bad luck. See, my memory's hazy. So after we moved uh, le- left the motel in '84, we went. Can't really remember when we first got a VHS player, other than to say it would have been definitely by, you know, 1990. But mm. even then, I mean, I didn't have enough disposable income to, or really the inclination to go mm. and um, and go out and buy Doctor Who. I mean, I don't know that it was – I can remember seeing anything in the late 80s in, you know, country Victoria. Mm. Uh, and it was only really, I suppose – in the early 90s that I saw at my local shopping centre, the, the Web Planet was available to buy on VHS. My condolences. Um, yeah, so, oh, but that was – I think I missed a few in between. So I, mm. it's really hazy. But by 1990, we definitely had a video player. I mean, I was re- taping stuff uh, certainly by 1993 when uh, the X-Files started. I used to record an episode every Thursday night. Mm. Uh, but in terms of buying stuff, again, I, I didn't really have the disposable income and – my first purchase might have been the Five Doctors on VHS, one of the dozen times that it came out. I certainly know that uh, a cousin of mine had taped it on on its first broadcast in Australia, the Five Doctors, and you know we watched it a couple of times. And by that stage, he'd, he'd watched it so many times that th- th- there were dropouts left, right, and centre. It was quite amusing. <laughs> a bit like my Planet of Fire episode one. Uh, (laughs) when i was at university i know that i purchased i think the first thing i basically purchased was uh 
a second-hand copy of Tomb of the Cybermen, probably a couple of years after it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, I, I, in, in when I was living at university, I didn't have access to a video player. So I had, other than a friend, so I actually had to watch it on a friend's VHS uh, away from where I was living. But I think after that, uh, I cottoned on to, well, you can rent them and you can rent VHS players. And if you've already got a VHS player at home, you can connect the two together and you can make your own copies of commercially available stuff. So here's me renting a video player for you know a couple of nights and then hiring the Daleks and, and a couple of other stories and just mm. connecting them and letting them run and run and run. And it was just purely for me. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my you know early, early history with regards to it. And even sort of later, I don't recall purchasing a whole lot of stuff. I remember, I remember hiring or renting the Seeds of Death from... Uh, Again, my friend's local video store, and I watched, I think it was the, the Omnibus version, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think I bought Spearhead, but really, I, I, I mean, it was in terms of, you know, the space that you would have to devote to having a whole lot of them. Um, it would have to, actually have to announce the fact that I was, you know, a big Doctor Who fan of my folks by actually sticking them in a shelf somewhere. So it was never it was never really for me. I mean, yeah, it's just, just interesting like that. I mean, I know... You guys and my other friends, well, you and my other friends at the Doctor Who Club of Victoria were, you know, they were, they were sharing tapes, they were recording stuff, and they were buying stuff, and there was a lot of excitement around when, now, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? The Three Doctors VHS was one of the later ones, was it? And they came with a little Bessie, or was that the, the DVD? That was, that was the DVD that came with uh, the Bessie, but the, the Three Doctors, I think, was released about 91, or, yeah, maybe 90, 90, yeah, 91. Yeah, so my, my memory's terrible. Yeah. At, at certain points, it all merges in with, the beginnings of the DVD range. So it's interesting. I think the number of repeats on the ABC for me meant that I didn't really need to own it because mm. you could, at one point or another, the, the favourite stories that I would have bought anyway were going to be repeated, you know, the, the, the Pertwee and the and the Baker stuff uh, at some point for, for a and, long while. And Robot. Yeah, yeah Robot. <laughs> ad, ad finitum. I mean, also you've got to remember that the prices of the tape when um, Revenge of the Cybermen was released in the UK, I think it's like 40 quid. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, in 83 was big money. And I think... That's the price of a small car back then, wasn't it? Or, yeah, know? probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ABC shop that released it, you know, a couple of months afterwards, and I think it was about 40, $40 or $50. I think a friend of mine actually bought, you know, Revenge of the Cybermen and he bought, you know, Seeds of Death as well. Yeah. And, you know, and he was... I thought, oh, my God, he's so wealthy, you know, because he's bought these... You'd have to be pretty... Doctor you'd have Who. to be pretty dedicated, yeah. though, wouldn't you, mate? To, yeah. A dedicated fan to, to, to yeah. want to do it. I mean, and on top of... The, the, the repeats when i was working at minotaur in 95 6 um of course they had all the videos available they were getting in mm. the new videos and, and i've mentioned this before so it's no secret you know you, you could as a staff member borrow a tape from the back and mm. you know take it home to watch and then just rewind it uh, and then put it back on the shelf so uh, there's there's someone out in melbourne who uh, had effectively a second-hand copy of Legopolis because I know I took it home and watched it. Really? Yeah, uh, seconds yeah. from me. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. But, look, let's cast our mind back to uh, 1983, Rob. Yes. And we're going to go back to DWB issue number two in September oh. 1983. And it says uh, in really, really bizarre font or letter set, what the hell it was, it says VIDEO, but... Basically, it's got like a V, full stop, I, full stop, D, full stop, E, and an uh, O at the end. Hopefully an O, yes. Exactly. And it says, the BBC have recently reached an agreement with the unions, which will allow the television chiefs to exploit the lucrative video market. 
After two years of talks, the BBC can now sell tapes of their programmes to video shops and the public. John Nathan Turner says, we will start releasing some of the old ones, but not probably the first story which appeared in the five faces of Doctor Who. We want to show rattling good stories that show the Doctor's at their peak. Exclamation mark. Exclamation mark, which then basically said, yeah, we'll put out Term of the Sidemen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I love Term of the Sidemen, so, you know. But, so uh, yeah, so basically, you know, uh, as as a consequence of the Longleat Convention slash exhibition slash um, car park shenanigans, the tape came out. So would you say that more than anything, Longleat uh, opened the eyes of the BBC to the commercial potential of the show? How many people did you say turned up? I think it was like a hundred thousand or something like that. You know, I mean, uh, you know, and if ten or twenty percent of those will will, will be willing to uh, video uh, tape, which is that's just money in the bank. That's free money, effectively, for the BBC, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently, there was talk about instead of having it at Longleat, they were going to have it at some sort of convention centre or something in Birmingham, and mm. they said, "Oh no, 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 not enough people will turn up to that." History now proves otherwise. So. So, uh, obviously, you know, there the, the, the were talks, obviously, two years before the Revenge of the Cybermen and other titles came out. I think Watchword Mother and those sort of ones as well. Okay. But, um, yeah, so basically, you know, two years, so 81, they started having conversations about releasing, you know, some obviously talking to Equity and all those guys. About, well, the unions, um, of course, would have the to unions, be modified before, you know, you could do anything in the UK back then. Yeah. Thank God for Margaret Thatcher, mate. Margaret Thatcher saved the UK. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Uh, we have so it's got a DWB issue number three, Rob, in October 1983, and it has the words uh, in in a very bizarre letter set. It said "Cyber Tape." I think um, um, I think, the, I think uh, Gary Levy or Lee was really in love with his letter set because uh, he loved a, it. There's a wide variety of uh, fonts <laughs> on on display in these early issues. He loved it, and the article says, as we reported last month, the BBC are now able to release tapes from their top entertainment programs. The first four tapes are released on October 10th and are launched by a Doctor Who story. The story is from the Tom Baker era, circa 1975, in which he battles his old foes in Revenge of the Cybermen. Seven more tapes, mainly comedy, will be subsequently released up to Christmas. The Doctor Who tape was probably selected by John Nathan Turner, and although it is no means a truly remarkable story, it should sell well on the strength of the Cybermen alone. Older stories are expected to have priority, but should the tape prove successful, then the market should be open for more Doctor Who tapes in early 84. The tapes come under the banner of Video Tasties. Hmm. And in an advertising campaign, it is to be spearheaded with the use of many Doctor Who monsters. The Family Favourites video venture follows an agreement between the BBC and unions representing actors and musicians reached after a two-year dispute over the levels of payment for performers. From January, BBC video titles are to be released each month. They will cost just under 30 quid each. Revenge of the Cybermen saw the return of the Silver Giants after a seven-year gap in an attempt to destroy Voga. The Planet of Gold. Speaking of gold, the BBC had, had, had lucked upon a pot of gold, I think, with the releases, Mark. Would that be right? They, they did. And I think also in that initial batch of uh, tapes, the Faulty Towers was in, was in there as well. They used to put like three episodes of tape, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 30 pounds each. 30 pounds each, you know, 10 quid an episode. But uh, and that was the way you used to, you know, watch those classic television uh, shows. Uh, that's the only way you could watch them, really. Unless you were lucky to tape them uh, beforehand. 
Yes. But I mean, you know, blank tapes are really expensive over there and, and over here as well. So, um, yeah. Well, not if you're a uh, hoarder who lived in Camberwell, Mark, who was wealthy. Uh, no, no, he's very wealthy. And yes. Uh, yes, yes, and then little did he know that uh, they ended up mostly in the landfill. But anyway, we move on from that. We move on, we move on. And in the uh, Celestial Toy Room, uh, number 11 from November 1983, that has a cover which I'll post up on the in the show notes of the Revenge of the Cybermen, uh, starring uh, Tom Baker, and it has uh, the <laughs> the neon logo, a picture of Tom Baker from the uh, season 18, and an Earthshot Cybermen, which is completely opposed to the the images used on the on the back cover of the of the, of the uh, video sleeve, where it has Tom Baker in a scarf, looking much younger, with a different Cyberman. Uh, I think it's David Collins as a, a Vagon, and uh, an Earthshock Cyberman's looking at, the, obviously, like the JNT Sharda cover, they had all these clippings, threw them up in the air, and just saw where they landed. Pretty much uh, the, the cover was wrong. They re-released it uh, about six months later, but uh, just a bit of an FYI, the quality of the, the, the tape stock that was used was uh, 3M, which, of course, was uh, scotch tape. It was very, very high quality. Ooh, ooh. And um, uh, the DWB says, above the first release from BBC Video, Doctor Who, Revenge of the Sidemen, available from 10th of October, 83, in VHS, Beta, and V2000 formats. It mm. has a running time of 90 minutes, the episodes edited together, and will cost around £39.95p. The number is BBC V2003. So V2000, I think, was a earlier uh, Philips uh, video cassette format, which, um, you know, some of the big name fans like uh, Mr. Levine taped mm. uh, certain swap shops and things and, and Nationwines, which are, were junked by the archive. So uh, that video format proved uh, lucky in the sense of capturing those bits of televisual nuggets. So, Mark, uh, you've got DWB issue four for the 4th of November 1983. Now, interestingly enough, Rob, the um, the news that Revenge of the Cybermen was on video might surprise you that some Doctor Who fans weren't happy. Doctor Who fans being unhappy, Mark. That's like saying that water is wet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and there's a big article here called Analysis. Let me video. read out this analysis, Mark. The dream of watching an old Doctor Who story at the power of your fingertip became a reality last month when the BBC released the first of their Doctor Who videos. This news, unsurprisingly, has thrilled fans everywhere and they will, at long last, be able to view stories that haven't been shown on television for many years, as and when they like. What nobody seems to have realised is the possibility that video will destroy the reputations of the stories to be selected for video release, with a financial disadvantage included. This theory can best be explained with mention of the recent NFT weekend over which 70 old episodes were shown. To span the entire two days would have set you back between 16 and 18 pounds. For this, you would see 35 episodes, once through only. You would then, undeniably, enjoy them immensely, and the highlights of these episodes would remain in your mind for a long time after. Example, if you viewed the entire Demons, then you would probably appreciate why it has developed a classic status having watched it once through, as did 9 million people more than 10 years ago. Then, if you were to buy the videotape of Doctor Who and the Revenge of the Cybermen, a perfectly reasonable offering featuring both a famous Doctor, it would set you back between 35 to 45 pounds. You would then view it, and the first time through, you would undoubtedly feel the pangs of nostalgia shooting through your body. 
having spent a vast sum of money, you won't put it away to collect dust, but instead you would view it a second time. This time to catch certain parts of the plot, which you missed first time round. Then a third time to predict when the third Cyberman from the left will do one thing or another. By the fourth time, you practically know the script word for word. By now, the story, which may once have been a personal favourite, is an utter bore and has totally lost its appeal. In fact, given the choice between Revenge of the Cybermen and the Horns of Nymon, nine times out of ten you would opt for the latter. What it all boils down to is that whilst it sounds appealing to have a Doctor Who story on video, unless viewed once, can only be bad for the program. And to watch it just once when it costs around 35 quid is extremely expensive, with the only solution being to join a video rental club. Believe it or not, video can also be bad news for people who don't own machines. The only access they have to see old stories is through repeats, and if the BBC decide to screen old stories, then they would obviously favour the classic tales to achieve higher ratings. But if Doctor Who on video turns out to be a success, then presumably classic Doctor Who stories will be selected for release keep sales high. Therefore... With financial reasons in mind, the BBC would stop showing repeats. After all, who wants to spend 40 quid on a tape when that same story may have already been repeated or the prospect of the BBC rescreening that story is high? In the end, only people who will be smiling will be the executives of BBC Enterprises. In other words, the memory cheats. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, um, uh, too, Mark, fans will complain about just about anything. Yeah. Yeah, is this this is from DWB? I mean, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, there's no surprise there, is there? They would they would find negative spin on something that is a net positive, really. But that's the thing. You spend that money. Of course, you're going to watch it more than once. And to be honest, when I, I did watch Revenge of the Cybermen more than once, when I used to hire the video, you know, from yeah. the video shop. Well, why not? I I never my look my critical faculties weren't in place by then, and thank God because I used to watch that show all the time, and I used to absolutely adore it. That's a, I think it's a bit disingenuous, to be honest with you. I mean, it was the start of a... Look, it was the start of something that obviously people didn't know they were going to keep going on with. Would it have been the ideal first title to start a, a VHS range? Probably not, no. but they went with the only method they had to sort of uh, gauge interest and ideas and fanzines and anything weren't around. They could have gone to Duas and said, look, we're going to start some videos. What would you, you know, what would you suggest we release? And they might have said, look, Terror of the Zygons or something like that. But yeah. they basically said to the to the, the general public, what would you want to see? Term of the Cybermen, look, it's sitting on a shelf in Hong Kong. We can't get to it right now. This is the compromise. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Yeah. It also presumes to know how fans will react to seeing, you know, these stories. I mean, well, so so what if you watch it four or five times and you possibly get bored with it? I mean, a year later, you might come back to it again and watch it once again and still have that thrill of nostalgia and that thrill of enjoyment. I mean, just because you have something that you can access at, at any point doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. I, I just think that this sort of article is emblematic of what DWB was really about, and it's searching for the negative in what really is a is a positive development. I mean, for the BBC to branch out, I mean, the BBC Enterprises, rather, to branch out and, you know, yes, people are paying through the nose for this sort of thing, but people are willingly mm. paying through the nose for this sort of thing. No one's holding a gun to their head. Mm. Um, and you, it allows people to have a greater and deeper appreciation. And you know what? Once you get hooked on this sort of thing, the, the, the BBC knew its market. Once people got hooked on this sort of thing, it would it would turn into a, a continual buying spree by all the fans, you know, for years and years and years to come. And they've done it with DWB and they're doing it again with Blu-ray. I mean, would you know, if DWB existed today, that they would they you know publish an article saying we're being ripped off for the fifteenth time. You know, again, no one is holding a gun to people's heads and forcing them to buy them. Let people make their own choice. 
And I think also in terms of first story to release, I think it would have been a disaster to release either a Hartnell or Troughton. You're either going to go for a Pertwee or Tom Baker. You know, in terms of what would I have chosen for a first Doctor Who release, oh, there's so many to choose from. Revenge of the Cybermen probably wouldn't have been at the top of my list, but again, yeah. they were going what the, the you know the Great Unwashed were, <laughs> were asking for, but then they tried to come with a compromise. But I would have probably gone for like something, you know, like a Terror of the Zygons or basically after Revenge of the Cybermen, they then went to look, let's do another one, you know, a couple of months later. Actually, it was, actually, it was probably about six months later, actually. So we did Brain of Morbius, which was cut down to, I think, about three minutes, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think it was, it was down from 90 to 60 minutes. I mean, that was massively truncated, to be honest with you. And people still bought it. The sensibilities of the time, maybe they thought it was just too frightening for children. I don't know. I mean... Oh, we're in the we're in the era of the, of the video nasty here, well and, well and truly, Mark. So yeah. I think the BBC definitely had a, had an eye on what was being said in the media. And, mm. um, uh, yeah, I think the BBC had to tread tread reasonably carefully, I suppose. And, I mean, we all know, you know, there's certain aspects of the brain of Morbius that sort of lend themselves to that video nasty feel. So you can imagine why, you can understand why bits were chopped out. Looking at the list of stories that were released uh, during, you know, the mid part of the 80s, I mean, they're only, mm. according to this list here... Um, they're only releasing three stories per year. So in yeah. so 84 was Revenge and the Brain of Morbius. And then 85, with, you know, about three or four months in between, we had Pyramids of Mars, The Seeds of Death. So there's your black and white story there after, you know, three colours. And then, of course, that classic, The Five Doctors, the, the very first time I think it was released out of the 69 or something. Yeah, the 187, <laughs> you know, re-releases, yeah. So that's three stories in 85. And then three stories mm-hmm. in 86. So we had uh, The Robots of Death, Day of the Daleks, so the first uh, first Pertwee, I think, and then a re-release of Revenge of the Cybermen. So they were clearly, do we think, maybe thinking that the fourth Doctor was uh, a decent seller? I mean, you know, the Pyramids yeah. of Mars must have sold like gangbusters uh, to justify, and then the Robots of Death, obviously, in 86, for a re-release of Revenge. Oh, I think definitely Enterprises said, look, obviously Tom Baker is the Doctor, as it were. Let's yeah. you know put out as many good stories as we can. Mm. And you know the interesting thing was that in Australia we actually saw some Doctor Who stories were released on videotape well before the UK. So for example, the Time Warrior was released in Australia in March '89, and right. the UK then got it in June '89. Yeah. Terror of the Zygons, May, April '87. And then the UK release date was November 88. And again, Towns of Enchang, which was cut here as well, was released in April 87 as well. And then released also in the UK in 88 with the same edit. So it's interesting that Australia would get these stories before the UK. But, you know, we obviously got them first. And I do remember going to the ABC shop and seeing the covers for, you know, Terror of the Zygons and Talons and, um, and, and Time Warrior. And I had to laugh at even DWB were importing, uh, <laughs> you know, Australian copies of the Time Warrior back to the UK. They said, look, you know, we can, you know, you can get these tapes, whatever. But you had to laugh at the, 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 the obviously the covers were put together by the Australians who basically in the in the plot synopsis gives the whole story away. Like potentially, you know, the last line was, um, let's have a look. It goes, a doctor is captured and interrogated by Lynx, who discovers he is a Time Lord. Despite the resistance of a robot knight built by Lynx, Iagron's castle eventually falls. Lynx is killed by a local archer.
structure and the spaceship blows up. I mean, what, what's the point of watching it? It's, that's, that's a spoiler on the back of the cover. That's a spoiler but, before there were spoilers, Mark. Yeah, exactly right. But, uh, you know, it was hilarious. And, in fact, you know, the reason, uh, I suppose, there was questions asked by, you know, obviously the, the fan bastion DWB in July 87 there's, a, there's an article that says uh, Beep Video cancels Zygons. In a move sure to infuriate collectors of BBC Doctor Who video releases, Terror of the Zygons has been removed from the schedule and furthermore, BBC videos have stated it will now never be released in this country. However, as with the talents of Wing Chiang being freely available on the other side of the world in Australia, who enjoy far more relaxed guidelines and, and so making it easier to release Doctor Who on video there, and indeed the titles sell very well, BBC Video have revealed that they are able to bring Death of Dalek straight out on budget because production and contractual agreements sailed through despite Terry Nation as the author of this uh, story. BBC's video's new policy is that only releasing VHS cassettes has also angered many fans who possess Betamax machines. Uh, and of course, it gives you the address to, um, you know, for beta uh, machine owners to write to uh, BBC <laughs> Video at Wood End. But it's 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 interesting to note that, um, you know, Australia got those three titles first before the UK did. And in fact, it said the BBC have stated that they'll never release Terror of the Zygons. I very mean, it's, it's very strange, actually. Yeah. So I'm assuming somebody in the BBC would have prepared the the Australian masters, as it were, and sent them over to uh, I think Polygram was the uh, distributor at the yeah. time to run off and obviously you know distribute we were very lucky it's interesting they mentioned you know about how uh, australia rejo- enjoys far more relaxed guidelines mate mm. have you seen have you seen our censored cuts come on <laughs> uh yes and it's interesting mike in 87 that uh the three stories that were released two of them were re re-releases uh the pyramids of mars again and the seeds of death mm. though the seeds of death uh was released on the same day according to this uh uh, note here uh, as as death to the Daleks. So you got your one and only original story. I suppose if people had missed out on, on Pyramids of Mars, um, you could uh, you know pick it up again. But it may have just looking at the catalogue numbers, it may have been the Pyramids of Mars completely sold out because it has a completely different catalogue number according to this uh, these notes that we've got here. So um, yeah, uh, it, it is interesting that again. They've gone with a not-so-well-thought Dalek story. I mean, you would have thought perhaps Genesis. If you're going to go for one, you know, the Terry Nation's fingerprints all over it, you'd go perhaps with Genesis. But it's interesting that they instead went with Death to the Dalek. So maybe it was just an easier thing to, to push through. I think what happened in uh, 86 and 87 was the, the whole concept of sell-through. So instead of paying 40 or 50 quid or, you know, your kidney and liver to yeah. pay for a, a, a tape, uh, the whole sell-through where the tape would be you know, either £9.99 for a single and later on we'll discuss the, the double tapes, which were uh, £19 mm. uh, in the UK. So they re-released a lot of those omnibus um, editions, you know, such as Seas of Death and Pyramids of Mars at a cheaper price. But you're right that Death of Daleks was the, I suppose, the new sell-through title that uh, was never available before. And in terms of that, um, yeah, that choice, yes, colour, it's four episodes. It has. Uh, it's. It exists. Mm. Uh, either has Tom Baker. It's. A, it's interesting that they obviously didn't go for Destiny because that was four episodes as well, and maybe they just knew it wasn't that well thought. The interesting yeah. thing with Death of Daleks was that they used the NTSC episode one because the Australian one was cut, and then it switched over from episodes two to four back to PAL. So look, you could tell the rule. It was a big quality jump instead yes. of actually just restoring the first couple of minutes 
of the NTSC, then switching it to the Australian PAL. Mm. Uh, no, they just used the NTSC copy to sort of fit that scene where it was uh, actually hacked out by those uh, lovely Australian uh, sensors there. Now, I have a question, Mark. Is there a difference between the 40-pound ones uh, and then the budget ones in terms of how they were released, or is it just, you know... No. It's, it's the same. It's just yeah, we're going to make as much money off this uh, and then we're going to go budget. But interestingly enough, in DWB 46, Rob, which was yes. uh, August in 87, and the, it's wonderful. It says, who's in the money? Budget Dalek tops video charts. The release of Dexter the Daleks directly onto budget video has reaped impressive dividends for BBC Enterprises, with a tape selling thousands of copies in only its first week, putting it high on the bestsellers list. So by switching over uh, from the 40 or 50 pound price point to a lower £9.99, obviously they, they sold out the door. And it says in the article, it basically also helped that uh, John Pertwee, the, the great man himself, was uh, appearing at the Virgin Megastore on uh, August 6, 87, to sign copies of that uh, particular title. And it says, elsewhere, the tape is selling extremely well, as are the other new budget titles, Pyramids of Mars and Seeds of Death, all now at a very affordable price of £9.99. Enterprises are, t- are expected to latch onto the success by accelerating the release of Doctor Who videos on budget cassettes, which, although cost only a third of the old price, sell notably more than three times the previous amount, thus making it a far more lucrative venture while also benefiting the consumer directly. So I think by this stage in the late 80s, there was that switch, as I said, from, you know, a high end. If you uh, go to a video store to rent a movie um, or if you wanted to buy it, it was going to either get an ex-rental or you have to pay, you know, high prices. They basically in 86, 87, that whole bottle changed to a, you know, it was nine pounds over there. And I think it was about 25 to $29 over here in terms of that sell through uh, price point there, which meant that, yes, you know, they're shifting obviously more uh, tapes out the door given the, the reduced price point. So mm. it was, we all won in the end. <laughs> Enterprises plus Doctor Who fans. Correct. Rob, what happened then was that obviously BBC Enterprises then realised we're a winner here. And in uh, DWB in May 1989, Rob, I might get you to read this next bit of nugget of news. Yes. So um, the Daleks on video, it's titled. Uh, but then they have a photo of the Ark in Space uh, <laughs> video cover. <laughs> anyway, uh, as expected, the Ark in Space and the Time Warrior are to be released in the UK on June 5th and will retail at £9.99 each. And in a surprise move, the tapes will coincide with the long-awaited release of the Daleks as a two-volume set. There has long been interest expressed and rumours abounding concerning the release of the first Dalek story with William Hartnell as the Doctor going on for back as far as 1984. But the major question was always how the BBC would adapt seven episodes onto one tape. Instead, BBC Video have elected to retain the titles and credits to all seven episodes, partly due to the fact that each episode reprise was reshot, and to edit each one onto the previous episode's cliffhanger would, in most cases, jar and spread them over two tapes. Apart from the fact that seven episodes would comfortably sit on a four-hour tape, there was speculation at one time that the first Doctor Who story, The Tribe of Gum, four episodes, would be released with episode one of the Daleks since episode four dovetails nicely into the Dead Planet, which features just the four main characters, so no further clearances would be necessary. It would also have provided an effective cliffhanger and incentive to buy the remaining six episodes on another tape since it would have ended with Barbara being menaced by dot 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 something. Two tape pack. 
As a two-type pack retailing at £19.99, it will be interesting to see whether the general public are prepared to fork out twice the standard cost for one Doctor Who story. Only the second ever black and white release to date due to the very reason that The Seeds of Death wasn't a major sales success. If sales of the Daleks therefore suffer due to its packaging, it could be the last monochrome release we see for quite some time. The Deadly Assassin is now available in the US and is expected to be the follow-up to the June releases. And then it says, go to page five to order your new videos now. Which was that Time Warrior VHS from uh, Australia being uh, shipped over to... Uh, Look at that. From, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lynx is shot killed by a local archer. And, well, and, there you go. Don't need to buy that one, folks. <laughs> now nah, we all know how it ends. And interestingly enough, again, it says the Deadly Assassin is now available in the US. So basically, yeah. again, like Australia, the, the US went forward and released the Deadly Assassin. And it took a number of years uh, for the UK to release that. But uh, yeah, so the, the US got, got in there as well. We then follow up that article, Mark, with DWB67 for July 89, so a couple of mm. months later. Mm. And it says, the Daleks video success. Initial sales of the new two-box video pack, the Daleks, have exceeded all expectations by outstripping its same-time release full-colour counterparts and almost certainly guaranteeing the future release of more monochrome classics. The 1963 story entered the nationwide sell-through chart at number two, with The Time Warrior at number 10 and Ark in Space number 12. What a travesty. The Virgin, that was me, uh, the Virgin <laughs> Megastore in London, Oxford Street, originally ordered 200 of the twin tapes and promptly ordered a further 700 after they sold out on the first day of release. Pertwee launch. But most of the activity on June 5 was reserved for further up the road at the HMV store, whose windows were strangely devoid of publicity for the John Pertwee signing, although inside he was presided over by the familiar Remembrance Black Dalek. However, the latest releases haven't met with overwhelming fan approval. Contrary to promotional statements prior to their release, both colour tapes are, in fact, presented in the familiar movie-length version as opposed to being complete with opening and closing episode titles. Furthermore, a shock greeted many at the close of the Daleks when it was found that the lead-in to the Edge of Destruction had been completely censored. Outrageous, Mark. They had this view that all the Doctor Who tapes should be in movie format, the colour ones, and... The black and white, a lot of them had that led into the next story. So they basically said, well, we don't know when Edge of Destruction is going to come out, so we'll just hack the crap out of it. And uh, that, that's it. So I know it says the Daleks is a video success, but in terms of a, a debut black and white title for the Hartnell era, would you say that the Daleks was a good choice or would you have gone for something a bit different? Well, you had more choice, obviously, with Hartnell than, than Troughton. I mm. mean, you, you could have gone with... I suppose, just about anything from the first season, except for obviously mm. Marco. One that jumps out at me immediately is the Aztecs because it's four parts, it's mm. complete. Then you go, you run into the fact that it's an historical, it doesn't feature any monsters as such like the Daleks. Mm. Um, it's it's hard to think at that stage. If you're going to, you know, if they're interested in monetizing this to the maximum, you would go with, uh, I mean, they've already released a Cyberman story. They've already released one Dalek story. They've gone with more uh, releases through the, the, you know, the most popular Doctor at that time. So if you're going to go with a Hartnell, you would think that the, the, the Daleks, again, because it's a Dalek story, uh, would be the way to go. And I, I can't think of anything else that would sort of qualify uh, at that you know, point in time. I probably would have gone for Dalek Invasion of Earth, mm. um, which I know came out the year later. But maybe they're saying, look, let's go back to the earliest Hartnell story we have. It's got the Daleks in it. Let's just dip our toe into water in terms of, you know, Hartnell titles and see how yeah. we go. 
if you're looking to maximise the money that you're making, uh, you mm. want to have something that will extend over two tapes, so you get extra dollars for the one story. Mm. Uh, and to do that, you have to, you know, juice it all up by, you know, going for Daleks. I mean, Daleks will sell Dark yep. Mania again. Yeah, exactly. But the success of the Daleks title then to, you know, BBC Enterprises said, oh, hold on, the, the floodgates opened. <laughs> Because basically the, the year of 1990, when the show wasn't on, the BBC just went absolutely nuts and started releasing um, black and whites. I think that first year of 1990, there was quite a number of black and white titles. And we'll just read this article from Dr. Who Bulletin from uh, issue 75 from March 1990. What were you doing in March 1990, Rob? Can you remember? Struggling through my first year at university, Mark, and clearly not buying uh, VHS tapes. Mm, okay. Mm, yourself? Uh, I was working at my first uh, sort of major role, as it were, at a large uh, bank and um, still looking at uh, on, on awful salary and still couldn't afford to buy the uh, BBC videos that were imported through your uh, former employer. So uh, <laughs> well, actually, think... actually, on that point, Mark, when I, when I joined a bank later in that decade, uh, the wage was only 27000 Australian dollars at that time. So six years later, earlier than that, I, kind of, I shudder to think what you were getting paid. <laughs> uh, how about mine had one, three, $13,944,000. Mother of God, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That okay. was big bickies to uh, a black lock oh, me then. And a I young pissed, Mac. And oh. I pissed it all away. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> yes, going out and gallivanting so dwb 75 in march 1990 uh, it says the launch of the first and last black and white doctor who adventures by bbc video on the on february the 5th spearheads a year of monochrome releases destined to be snapped up by nostalgia buffs hopeful of recapturing the flavors of bygone years those simply curious enough to put jonathan turner to the test and determine for themselves whether the memory really does cheat and of course young people at least 26 years of age and under who simply have never had the luxury to witness the magic of monochrome doctor who bar the brief 1921 repeats nft screenings and of course the pirate video network which only the minority have access to mm. and of course uh, underneath they're obviously talking about the the unearthly child which and, and the war games and the unearthly child has that fantastic cover sort of uh, leveraged from uh, Queen's The Miracle album uh, in terms of the merging of the first Doctor and Susan's face. But that was a fantastic cover. I do remember actually seeing that and uh, a friend of mine actually bought that and I thought that was a masterful cover. And yes. same with the War Games as well, watching those over two tapes. It, yeah, they were, they were great covers and, of course, started the whole role of... I remember that year they had, like, the Mind Robber, uh, the, Dom the Dominators uh, was also in that list as well. Um but it says here, BBC videos do seem to have learned from their past mistakes and are doing the fans proud with the most recent releases. If a criticism must be levelled, is that tape one of my copy of The War Games is far grainier in picture quality than tape two, indicating that shortcuts are being taken at the duplicating stage, i.e. taken from copies of copies instead of from the master. Otherwise, full marks to BBC and roll on maze releases. So I think with uh, the VHSs of those days, it was pretty much what was on the shelf and they just grabbed. And from what I remember of the war games, was a lot of those BBC copies, which I took from the BFI copies, were covered in mould. <laughs> so they weren't the best <laughs> copies anyway. So, yeah, it wasn't until the DVD 20-odd years later that we actually got some really you know, great restoration on the war games. Mm. But, um, look, we were grateful to see great copies of, um, of those stories compared to the 18th generation pirate copies that we had back then. That's true. 
we venture into 1991, Mark, in the in issue 87 uh, of DWB, which has a delightful picture of uh, JNT biting down an issue of DWB. <laughs> it's just it's just recursive, mate. All, that's all I can say. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome captured in real life, isn't it? Really, it's a picture if, there. If they can juice an article with a mention of JNT DWB, they certainly will. So, they will. Doctor Who stuck. With JNT, it transpires that John Nathan Turner, having little luck in finding a new job outside of Doctor Who, actually approached BBC Video himself with the idea of producing tapes featuring individual episodes from the Hartnell and Troughton years. Penny Mills, head of video production at the BBC Enterprises, said, We are delighted that John is joining us. His wealth of Doctor Who knowledge and experience can be utilised to its fullest for the benefit of Doctor Who fans everywhere. While many fans are bound to disagree with this statement... (laughs) Jesus. It appears that even though he is no longer Doctor Who's producer, while he has little luck in finding employment elsewhere, then his name is sure to remain in the news. Since leaving the post last August, he has fronted the BSB weekend and attended several fee-paying events believed to be his sole source of income. The photograph left was taken by James Howarth at such an event, Panopticon, last October. Nathan Turner was recently sent Hartnell and Troughton tapes from which he will make his choice for the special releases coming out in June. It is interesting to note that, while producer of Doctor Who, he was afforded instant access to archive material, but in his new capacity has to go through the same rigorous and time-consuming clearing procedures as everyone else. Originally, it was reported that two tapes would comprise individual episodes from the Hartnell and Pertwee years, but this idea appears to have been dropped in favour of Hartnell and Troughton. The article goes on to finish by saying, City of Death has been on the cards for release on video for many months now, and far from there being any contractual problems, the reason for its delay is that a copy was never originally sent to the British Board of Censors for Classification. It's a gossip brag at this stage, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's no show to talk about, so basically the only thing it's sort of keeping things alive, as it were, were, mm. were the tapes. And, of course, the man was producing the tapes in the first four years of the 90s was uh, the ex-producer who, unfortunately, couldn't get a role anywhere else. He obviously volunteered his services and said, I know everything about Doctor Who. He said volunteer his services. If you believe DWB, there was a fee involved. Oh, of course, he was going to get paid for it. And we actually get into that a little bit more later on. So Doctor Who Bulletin, April 1991, says the era tape episodes. BBC video Doctor Who advisor John Ethan Turner has made his selection of episodes which compromise the first three Doctor Era tapes. The first two featuring the Hartnell and Troughton Doctors are scheduled for release in June with a Pertwee tape to follow. Each will consist of three selected episodes from their respective eras with additional clips linked together with specially filmed inserts featuring a surviving Doctor. The Hartnell tape consists of the first take of the pilot, the Crusade episode 3 and the Celestial Tormaker part 4. So with excerpts from An Unearthly Child, the Arabic version of episode 2 of Edge of Destruction, the compilation is presented by 7th Doctor Sylvester McCoy. Rather less inspired is the choice of the Troughton tape. With such gems as The Evil of the Daleks 2 and Web of Fear Episode 1 to choose from, Nathan Turner has instead opted for Abominable Snowman 2, Enemy of the World 3 and Space Pirates 2. Together with clips from 10 Planet 4, The Regeneration Sequence, The Web of Fear Part 1, The Three Doctors, The Five Doctors and Two Doctors. The Troughton tape is presented by John Pertwee, who has also introduced a selection of episodes on his era tape. Inferno Episode 7, The Demons Episode 5 and Frontier in Space episode 6. While the latter two are episodes from stories that exist in a mixed format, Inferno is held by the BBC in standard broadcastable format, prompting some doubt as to whether this story will be considered for release in the near future as a single or double tape release. All episodes on this tape are in colour. Just on that point, we actually haven't mentioned, I don't think, Mark, that at this stage a lot of the Pertwee stories existed in it in mixed formats because of obviously the wiping. So yeah. there was the, you know, the BBC PAL or the British PAL format, 
but then there are also uh, the NTSC uh, format for uh, definitely, you know, uh, the USA and I believe Canada as well. So the, the PAL versions had been wiped. And I think, you know, stories like Is It the Colony in Space, for instance, only really exist as, uh, as, a, as, a, as a mixed sort of selection. Is that right from memory? I think so. I think it was just those recovered NTSC tapes. But interesting, yep. it says that Demons Episode 5 obviously is presented on black and white on the on the video. Yes. The next line says self-indulgence, Rob. It does. While the inclusion of the pilot episode is to be welcomed on the Hartnell tape, this choice displays blatant hypocrisy on Nathan Turner's part. This was the same man who told Titan Books back in 87 that the pilot episode could not be included in their Tribe of Gum script book since it was not part of Doctor Who's folklore and should never be available to the public. While it has been hinted that BBC may be holding back on isolated episodes featuring Daleks and Cybermen for future monster tapes, the inclusion of the Space Pirates is a clearly an example of self-indulgence on Nathan Turner's part being his first job on Doctor Who as a T-boy. That's, uh, that's not quite true, but... So obviously going for the kiss and the kick there. It's interesting, it's looking at the release dates for the, you know those initial tapes, Hartnell years years, the Troughton years and Purple years. So they released the Hartnell and Troughton years released in June uh, 1991, but they weren't released in Australia at least eight or ten months later. In terms of their release dates, there's none of the whole, you know, synchronised release dates. So basically random. I mean, the Troughton tape came out before the Hartnell tape in Australia. That's madness. Maybe Polygram had to be uh, its arm twisted to be convinced to uh, to Release take on, uh, you know, sort yeah. of a best of random selection of, you know, individual episodes from different stories. Maybe there was a fear. They had a fear that they just simply wouldn't sell. Perhaps, perhaps. But look, you know, the tapes, obviously the year tapes came out in, um, you know, June 1991. And look, you know, we, I've, we've, we've dug up these massive, you know, articles about them. This is basically a two-page review of them. But the last... We won't go for the whole thing, but basically the last sentence of overall the two tapes are a worthwhile addition to the current Doctor Who video range, and it'll be very interesting to see how they will sell. BBC Video are planning to release a further two tapes in this range in 1992, detailed in the Purple and Tom Baker years. Let's hope that the sales of these titles warrant enterprises putting up more money into original Doctor Who titles, as the possibilities are endless for tapes with old, with odd episodes, interviews with stars, even compilations of televised interviews and clips. Credit where credit's due, and even though both videos left me feeling slightly disappointed they're both enjoyable and above all else they are new doctor who material more please so there was no doctor who episodes obviously back by then these john nathan turner productions were fairly well received at the time but looking back on them now they are very very shallow compared to what kevin davis did with 30 years the tardis you know where that was astounding, the, the two-year gap in between those two titles. Did you watch the, the Hartnell Troughton years when it came out in the Purple years? I certainly saw them. I don't believe I – when I say saw them, I saw them on the shelf. I don't believe I was uh, intrigued enough to buy them because I know I don't have them amongst my what few uh, VHS tapes I purchased. Mm. So I may have rented one. I, I can't recall. I can't recall. But, yeah. But, I mean, it's interesting that J&T went down that route. And, and that article there or that ending that you read out sort of prefigures – uh, the 30 years in the TARDIS format that um, was was taken up a, a year or so later. And then, of course, uh, the DVDs with their greater capacity in the Blu-rays in terms of adding on, uh, v, you know, VAM, value-added material in terms yes. of televised interviews and clips and other uh, such things. I mean, it was I suppose it was an interesting uh, effort by j and I mean, uh, why you would go down the years tapes uh, instead of, you know, just concentrating on releasing just full stories, which I think would have sold more. I can understand, in a sense, you know, if you've got 
you know, uh, stories that sort of only exist in part, you know, the Crusade, the Celestial Toymaker, for instance, and that, that makes sense in that regard. That's probably the only viable format at that time that you could release them and make money out of them as, a, as an extra tape that you would have to buy instead of just sort of adding them onto a current release. Probably that would make that makes more sense, but um, it's pretty idiosyncratic, I suppose. Yeah, the choices are a bit bizarre, to be honest with you. You know, from a Hartnell, especially a Troughton. As I said, you could have gone for Evil or Daleks Part Two, Weather Fear Part One, as opposed to what they did put on. I mean, Space Pirates. I mean, you know, God Alpers. Enemy of the World doesn't work. Obviously, the context of what we had at the time, you yeah. know, and obviously it works better, you know, in its totality. But obviously, it didn't have back then. But yeah, definitely needed a Web of Fear or something to boost it. I feel because um, that's a certainly better episode than the Abominable Snowman, and in fact, all those episodes. To be honest with you. So after the year's tapes, they still kept releasing Doctor Who titles. But of course, uh, in the intervening time, uh, a small uh, recovery happened, i.e. Term of the Sidemen. Never heard of that story before, Mark, ever. No, no, it's quite uh, overrated, I believe. But apparently, (laughs) so so what happened was, obviously it was found. We're going to rush release it out to everybody, the Great Unwashed, uh, in May 1992. And indeed, there will be issue 101. They did Mm. a massive cover on it. And it says, now available at a high street store near you. And obviously, it went into great length about the recovery tomb. But before we sort of talk about our reminiscences about Tomb, there's also some other titles released at the same time of that, which sort of slightly got eclipsed. So, Claws of Axos got released. It says here, doubts over Claws of Axos picture quality. BBC are reported to be concerned about the duplicated quality of the new Claws of Axos release. The master tape wasn't perfect to begin with, and the mass-produced copies rather less so. No official statement was available at time again to press, although one is expected in the near future. Uh, the Claws of Axos will be released as planned on the 5th of May alongside the Term of the Sidemen and the Woolworths exclusive release of The Twin Dilemma, chosen at the last minute to replace the Aztec, which should be released in November. Now, there's a comment here for, by Gary Lee, obviously, about the, the selection of The Twin Dilemma over the Aztecs. Rob, would you care to read this out? Yes. Now, there is a delightful photo of JNT sitting at some sort of uh, video tape console with one finger to his mouth and another finger pressing a button as if he's sort of, you know, deleting something. I'm not quite sure. He looks very impish, deliberately chosen, I think. So the comment by Gary Lee begins, a BBC video's decision to issue the Twin Dilemma as a Woolworths exclusive, brackets, or should that read a Woolworths turkey, has been met with howls of derision and disbelief from fans. Apparently, Woolworths decided that the originally allocated and infinitely superior The Aztecs wouldn't sell as well as a colour story, and Nathan Turner subsequently convinced BBC Video that, as Colin Baker's first story, The Twin Dilemma, would be an excellent replacement. Now, in 1984, Nathan Turner was quoted on several occasions as saying that The Twin Dilemma was his favourite production to date. Although the story went on to top numerous polls as the worst Doctor Who story and arguably one of the worst produced pieces of television ever. With Woolworths apparently committed to taking 25,000 copies of this dirge, BBC Enterprises will be smiling all the way to the bank, while Woolies will no doubt be left with a warehouse full of unsold jacondons. Expect this to be the first and last type of its kind, thanks to Nathan Turner. There, there are then several other paragraphs of absolute bile before it ends. <laughs> it is a bitter irony that the man who is responsible for the death of Doctor Who on television is still drawing his income from the program, since he obviously can't gain employment employment elsewhere through his own undoing his who video productions to date have been a disgrace and there are many fans (laughs) who would gladly give their time free to do a far more capable job 
It's time the fans let BBC Enterprises know exactly what they think of JNT's unending presence by voting with their pockets. And the next to it, there's a, there's a picture of a destroyed Mistor leaking fluid. Uh, delightful. So um, <laughs> It is a very strange choice, to be honest with you. Maybe JNT was saying, look, let's just get as many uh, debut stories of Doctors out at one time. Mm. And he said, look, obviously, Castro Alba was out earlier in the year. Let's let's try and go for Twin Dilemma so people can have that, that set, as it were. But I, I agree. I think it was a strange choice in terms of having a, an exclusive. Though that said, I mean, if you, the problem that you have with Doctor Who, and this was pointed out, the inclination, the first inclination would be to release all the good stuff first. Mm. Uh, and then you, you're left with a lot of dross, to be frank. Um, and I think the restoration team made that point with, I think it was later on when they were doing the DVDs, the decision was made that, you know, effectively the Terror of the Zygons was going to be the last story to release so you wanted to go out on a high so you, you run the risk with the vhs tapes if you release all the good stuff first uh and not pepper uh, through it some of the less good stuff then at the end of it you're just going to sort of it's just going to peter away so in that sense i can understand uh though that may not have been jt's thinking at the time that the, the happy accident is that yes you got tomb coming out that year and out and out you know a, a, a definitely an excellent story with something that the twin dilemma which is less excellent but still better than uh, death in heaven uh, to be frank <laughs> and that wasn't available then rob so uh yes. oh yes well fair enough fair enough yes fair enough. yes uh what but, was your uh what was your reaction to having tomb of the Cybermen in your handbag oh it was amazing you know i think i've said it before where uh a friend of mine was importing copies of it over so um i met him at a uh, i went to his house picked them up and then went to a mcdonald's car park in preston in mm-hmm. the northern suburbs and basically had a couple of fans meet me there and it looked like a drug deal, <laughs> although it was if somebody had actually come up and actually saw what we were swapping, would have been very disappointed. But I remember driving home, they putting it into the VHS recorder and pressing play. And even my brother came over and uh, sat down and watched it with me as well. So it was a, a lot of frisson in, in the household watching it. And the same with Web and Enemy, that mixture of disbelief and actually watching this uh, classic from years gone by. And it was revered at the time, having it in your hands. And the cover was fantastic by Alistair Pearson, had that sort of embossing, you know, term of the Sidemen. So happy days. I still enjoy watching the story now. When it was recovered, there was a bit of disappointment on some angles, but it's like, Christ the mighty it's been recovered you yeah. thought you'd never see it again shut up when our fans it. ever happy when <laughs> exactly and i'm looking at you and me in that case as well yes. but look recover trouton and a fantastic story and uh, i've got a lot of nostalgia for um importing it in and and i'm watching it was great such was my excitement mark that i didn't buy it when it first came out and then i picked it up for nine australian dollars at a collectibles fair i think at the malvern town hall but it might have been somewhere less salubrious than that and again i didn't have access to a vhs player at that time because i was living away from home at uni uh so i had to rely on a friend's uh a friend having a, a tape player so i didn't rush out and buy it and neither did i was able, able to sit down at my leisure and sort of watch it um as well but uh yeah no undoubtedly you know philip for the range when it came out mm. uh you know wall-to-wall coverage and all that sort of thing in terms of you know fanzines and, and doctor who magazine and and, and, and whatever and uh, yeah, you can you can stomach the DWB cover, you know, 101 and 100 really captures, I think, the excitement amongst fandom uh, that they've been returned and the fact that this is a big thing, you know, for Doctor Who, but also for archival television as well. So I, I hope that there are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of fans out there who, who, who bought the VHS at the time because um, it was, you know, the show had come off the TV and uh, the spirits were reasonably low 
Uh, so they have this come, you know, you know, through your through your local video store uh, seller or rental. Uh, it was great. Did you know that team had been recovered at the time, or I knew it had been recovered thanks, to, I think, to DWB 100. Mm. I would have picked that up at the time. I was on records Doctor Who at that time, so it is possible that, that was. It, it was, you know, announced there before I got DWB 100. It's 30 years ago. I can't mm. really remember. But in terms of, again, it was the same thing. I didn't have a player. And back then, I think they were about 30 bucks. Was that about right? As a university student without a job, relying on my folks for a sort of a weekly stipend, mm. it was just too much. So to, to pick it up for $9 yeah. uh, was a bit of a godsend. So I did I did definitely snap it up. Well, in terms of the, the success of Toon, so DWB Issue uh, 103 in July uh, 1992 mentions that the success of the Cybermen. Stocks of the term of the Cybermen shipped to retail outlets up, up to June 6 were in excess of 34,000 copies, far outstripping any Doctor Who release to date, and placing the video amongst the BBC's own bestsellers, although a good way short of Watcher with Mother tapes, which apparently sold 500,000 units. The Watcher with Mother was like a 1950s kitty show that they released as like we'll throw it out and it it, it sold 500,000 copies bonkers mm. uh the tape also held its position at a gallop top 20 for a third week number 16 another record as others drop into the 20s and 30s by the second week video trade weekly carried an article on a tape success recently and bbc video had released had issued a press release accompanying their Sharda promo saying how chuffed they are with tomb sales and they expect uh, Sharda at 19 quid to uh, throw to do similarly well. Understandably, Tomb of the Cyberman has been pulled from the BBC Radio's uh, collections July releases, so we'll be reviewing Evil and the Macro Terror for next month. So basically, John Pertwee had recorded Tomb of the Cyberman linking and they were going to release the tape at the same time. When Team was found, they pulled the release and they, they put it out later on. But interestingly enough, though, it says here that uh, obviously at the same time, so this 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 month in May, they had Tomb of the Sidemen, Claws of Axis and Sharda all released at once. Pretty impressive. And of course, Rob, something to make your heart a flutter, Enterprises launches Hunt more missing episodes. One of many hunts, Mark. Um, yes. Further to our lead story in issue 100, it's now official. BBC Enterprises are commencing their hunt for more missing episodes and will be canvassing overseas companies on material held, as well as urging searches of vaults for hidden gems. Contrary to a poorly researched and highly misleading report in the Daily Star at the beginning of June, as far as the archives are concerned, Four missing episodes most certainly have not turned up in South Africa. Adam Lee, who I think was the was he the archive selector, Mark? Is that yeah, he was the yeah he took over from Steve Bryant, and I think okay. before that's uh, Sue Moulton. Yeah. Yep. I described the claim as quote unquote nonsense. And then there's a little chart here uh, describing the progress of uh, Tomb of the Cybermen uh, in the Gallup video charts. So week one it was the first, week two, twelfth. Uh, placed week three down to 16 so that's pretty good after three weeks and then week four 23rd and then it's plummeted in week five to 83 in the rankings so mm. yes. uh, yeah and interesting with term they put this thing called i think it was called macro vision not macro vision uh it was like a video copying protection ah uh, yes i remember yes yeah so <laughs> uh, it used to make the the tape go a little bit wonky Mm. Um, although I had some sort of device used to bypass that. <clears throat> oh, well, let's not talk about that. No, but I did buy a legit copy, and the cover is still uh, fantastic to this day. I mean, I've sold the tape ages ago, but mm. I did buy the uh, Target reprint of Tomb of the Cybermen in 92, which has the Alistair Pearson cover on it. Lovely.
And we're just going to hit pause there for the moment on uh, this reminiscing of the VHS range through the eyes of Doctor Who Bulletin magazine. We're going to come back next month where we'll be going through more Rage Vile. And that was just from the list of videos that we're going to bring out. So we've also got listeners' feedback as well. So for the moment, we'll leave it there. And I've been Rob. And I've been Mark. And we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.